we're having to reset our systems so that we can live stream. So chat for just another minute and then we'll get going. Well, welcome, everybody. I know some of you are thinking, wait a minute, the wise men. Why are we watching the wise men? Isn't Christmas over? Isn't it New Year's? Well, when you think about it, the wise men really weren't there at the birth of Jesus. They may not talk about that a lot, but that's not exactly how the timing worked. So let's look at Matthew chapter 2. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born the king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard the news, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When they had to call together all the people's chief priests, and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet had written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child as soon as you find him. Report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. 
Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So when you hear that, did you hear the part where it said, upon coming to the house, right? Was Jesus born in a house? No. So we've got this in a house. And we've also got this thing where Herod, in Matthew 2.16 says, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Okay? So we've got this idea that the wise men were there, but they weren't. They weren't there. They were there much later. So this is my much later. <laughs> but I think it's really important for us to look. Who were these magi? Historians tell us that they were a priestly order of Medes. So they were Persians. They were known as interpreters of dreams and observers of the heavens and students of signs. They would be like those who Nebuchadnezzar consulted to interpret the dreams before Daniel actually interpreted them for him. So, the Magi, they're not from Israel. They're from the east. And what they did is they saw a star. But they knew that that star was so important that they needed to go on a journey. So they loaded their stuff up, and they went on a journey. And then they brought Jesus gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So there's not just a monetary value to this gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It's much more than that. There was a symbolism of what those gifts meant. And symbolically, it's really kind of important to realize that they showed up. The story is only in the book of Matthew. And Matthew was written to the Jewish people who would know the symbolism of this. So we're going to step back and look at what that symbolism meant to them. So gold. Gold points to his kingship, that he is our king. When you think about it, when they were describing Solomon's splendor, the first thing they said was how much gold he got every year. And then they talked about how he made his throne out of ivory inlaid with gold. Gold and kingship went together. So the gift they gave Jesus of gold reminds us that Jesus is our king. And he's not just a king, but he is the king of kings for us. And then there's frankincense. Frankincense. 
frankincense, we look back in Exodus and we see that frankincense was used on the altar of incense. So when we go back and we look at this instructions for the temple that was being made, they said that you will have an altar of incense and it will be made with gold and they gave instructions for it. And then they said the incense that you will burn will follow this recipe. And frankincense was a major part of that. So frankincense points us symbolically to remember that Jesus is our high priest. So the gold, he's our king. The frankincense, that he is our high priest. And then we get to myrrh. Myrrh was what they used to prepare bodies before they put them in the tombs. Our equivalent of embalming fluid. Myrrh points to the upcoming sacrifice of Jesus for our sins. So we have the three gifts that remind us that Jesus is our King of Kings, that Jesus is our High Priest, and that Jesus is the sacrificial Lamb that died for our sins so that there's not a barrier between us and God. What an incredible reminder, but it came from the East, right? What? This didn't come from the priests of the time. This didn't come from the people in the temple in Israel. This came from the East. What a neat reminder that God is not just the God of Israel, but he extended his sacrifice to all of us. And people outside of the Israelites are invited to join him and his sacrifices for them as well. So when you think about that, it's like, wow, what a neat, neat picture we get of Jesus from the wise men. Now, I know some of you are still like, but wait a minute, this is not my New Year's sermon. You wanted me to start with a video more like this one.
that more what you were thinking as the start off to this nice new year? We need resolutions. We need to like declare what we're going to do different. When you think about it, you know, what happens when we just pick one thing or two things or five things that we're going to do better in the next year, right? And then all of a sudden, oh, yeah, it lasts a little while, but it doesn't necessarily always last very long, which is why the number one thing that we talk about two weeks after New Year's is that, oh, wait, I already messed up on my resolutions, right? So when we think about it, maybe resolutions are not what we, what we want to really think about. Maybe we need to take a look at something from those wise men and say, oh, maybe there's something I need to do different. When we look at the wise men, they're an incredible picture of priority and diligence. Like they studied, they saw the signs, then they made this huge change in their lifestyle. They decided they would travel and follow the star and go and see Jesus. So they got on their camels. Now, have y'all ever been on a camel? I've been on a camel. It's funny, I was on a camel in Australia, but it was a camel all the same. And there's something, if you've ever ridden a camel, that you will never forget. And that is the smell of the camel, right? It's, there's, it's unique, right? And it's unforgettable, right? So they got on their camels, and they made a trek a long way to see Jesus. They gave up their creature comforts. They gave up their normal patterns in life. They gave up a lot to do what they thought was right, to go and see Jesus. So when we think about that, their priority was in the right place. Mark Twain once said, to change your life, you need to change your priorities. And I think he was right, that if you really want to make a lasting change, you don't make a resolution, you change your priorities. So when we look at the Ten Commandments, in Exodus 20, it starts off like this, and God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven or above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments." The first two commandments are all about priority. God wants to be your number one. 
That's how he started off what we're supposed to do. God wants to be your number one. He doesn't want anything before him. He doesn't want you to worship, worship anything else, and he doesn't want any idols. And then as we kind of wade through the rest of the Old Testament, we see Israel going back and forth and back and forth. Like, yes, I'm going to follow God. He's going to be my number one. And then they forget that he's their number one. And then they do all these bad things, and then bad things happen to them. And then they're like, oh, wait, I'm going to make God my number one. And then they, they forget that, and then they quit focusing on him. And then all these bad things start happening, and then they remember again. It, like, it goes over and over and over and over. And you think, oh, my goodness, will they ever learn? One of the things we need to cut them a little slack, though, because one of the things that happens is as they do that, what's happening is this movement from generation to generation. Like, this group will remember God, and they'll have it. And then their kids will be like, yeah, what's this God thing? I don't know. There are these other cool things. And so there's this generational aspect. And when we're looking at God, we have to realize that every generation needs their own experience with God. It's not something that you can just let happen, but we have this cycle that happens if we don't pass on God to the next generation, and they need their own experience with God so that they're not just like, oh, well, yeah, I don't know what that thing was. My parents did that, but I don't need that anymore. So then as we're talking about this history of Israel, I want to look at Jeremiah's prophesying. So Jeremiah, we're going to start off early in Jeremiah. We're going to look at chapter 3. And so Jeremiah was prophesying, and he, this was about, you know, this was decades before Babylon kind of wipes out. Israel. And so he's saying these things. He, so then he's prophesying and he says, how gladly would I treat you like my children and give you a pleasant land, the most beautiful inheritance of any nation. So Jeremiah is passing on God saying this to the Israelites. I thought you would call me father and not turn away from following me. But like a woman unfaithful to her husband, so you, Israel, have been unfaithful to me, declares the Lord. A cry is heard on the barren heights, the weeping and pleading of the people of Israel, because they have perverted their ways and have forgotten their Lord God. Return, faithless people, I will cure you of backsliding. That's a pretty powerful thing that God says. Return, faithless people, I will cure you of backsliding. And the people say, yes, we will come to you, for you are the Lord our God. Surely the idolatrous commotion on the hills and the mountains is a deception. Surely the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. From our youth, shameful gods have consumed the fruits of our ancestors' labor, their flocks and herds, their sons and their daughters. Let us lie down in our shame, and let our disgrace cover us. 
We have sinned against the Lord our God. And we and our ancestors from our youth till this day, we have not obeyed the Lord our God. If you, Israel, will return to me, declares the Lord, I will put your detestable idols out of my sight and no longer go astray. And if in a truthful, just, and righteous way you swear, as surely as the Lord lives, then the nations will invoke blessings by him, and in him they will boast. So this tells us about the nature of God. God wants to call us back to him when we drift away from him. What better news to hear on New Year's Day than, yeah, whatever happened last year, I'm willing to not look at that. Follow me now and I will bless you as you draw near to me. Isn't that a wonderful New Year's celebration? So then we need to think, oh, well, what's my part of that? God is a God who wants me to turn back to him. God is a God who says, return faithless people. I will cure your backsliding. My job then is to return. You see, we need to look for what we have turned to as idols. Because we need to see what we were doing that we need to turn away from so that we can turn back to God. So then as we look, I want to take a few minutes to look at what might be some idols that we've turned to that we need to turn away from. There's an old saying, show me your checkbook and your calendar and I'll show you what you value. Now, I know some of you are going, oh, there he goes. He went to meddling. He's going to talk about money. He's going to talk about my time. Yes, I am. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says, but godliness and contentment is, godliness con with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So then I ask, think about how important money is to you. Do you see money as God's money that he happens to bless us with and that we need to manage the way he wants us to? Or do you seek after money and is it one of those idols? Mark opened up and talked about Malachi, the verse out of Malachi, which is where God says, bring in your tithe to the storehouses 
and test me and see what I'll do with it, right? He says, bring in your tithe and that he will open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Malachi 3, 9 and 10. So when we don't look at money as an idol, but look at money as God's and are willing to use it for what he wants it used for, he will give us blessings. So money may be one of those things we need to look at. How we use our time may be one of those things we need to look at. Stephen Covey said this quote, Most of us spend too much time on what is urgent and not enough time on what is important. I think that's true for all of us at times. The question is, when we look at that important, that really leads us right back to priorities, right? We were talking about priorities, and our priorities show in how we spend our money and how we spend our time. So when you look at your calendar and you see how you lay out your time, that's an important thing. And if, if at some point you say, wow, you know, I really don't have time to go to church this week, or I really don't have time to read my Bible this week, then that shows you what your priority is. And the question is, is that the priority that God wants you to have? Is that the priority that God wants me to have? We need to look at our time, examine our calendars, examine our schedules, look at our priority and say, Lord, is that what you would have for me? Or is this an area, Lord, that I'm idolizing something beside you? Is there something that my calendar shows me that I've put as more important than you? When we talk about time, it always makes me think of Hebrews 10. 10, 23-25 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Do we make sure that we have time for each other, for the other people in the church, for our family that he calls us to minister to, that he calls us to love, that he calls us to spend our time with. So money and time. Those get talked about a lot, and then usually that's the kind of the end of the list. So some of you might be going, ah, okay. But now we get to attitude. When you look at your attitude, what does your attitude tell you about what is most important to you? Psalm 30 is a very interesting psalm. It says, I will exalt you, Lord, 
For you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord. You, his faithful people, praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What is gained if I'm silenced, if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. What a list of emotions, right? From one end of the spectrum to the other. Praise, dismay. God wants you to bring all your feelings to him. The good, the bad, the scared. God says he's there. And we need to praise him because he's there no matter how we feel. So when you think about your attitude, God calls us to be joyful. And you think, wow, what's the opposite of joy? And most people would say sadness. But no, I don't think that's right. The opposite of happiness is sadness. I think the opposite of joy is cynicism. That when God calls us to be joyful and we get cynical, it robs us of his joy. That's an attitude issue. So when we think that we're worth more than we're really worth and that things ought to be just the way we want them and we get cynical when they're not, then we are putting our comfort in front of him. And he's not number one in our lives anymore. You see, there's not a verse in the Bible that said God is going to make our whole life comfortable. We look back at the wise men, and they did not make a comfortable choice. They made a devoted choice that showed their priority was to go and see Jesus. So then what do we do? How do we make our priority where we go and see Jesus? So we have to ask, what? What are my priorities? What is it that I have in me that gets in the way of me going to see Jesus? You see, as we look 
I started in Jeremiah, and a little further down in Jeremiah 3.10, it says, In spite of all this, her unfaithful sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but only in pretense, declares the Lord. When we look at our priorities, we have to make sure that we're not just doing things for show. We don't want God to look at us and say, uh, Trey over there, he's just up there. It's just pretense. He doesn't really do this. That's not what we want. That's not what we look for. We need to say, what do I need to do to not fake it, but to really follow after and prioritize God? So as we look at that, there are some questions that we need to ask. What is in the way? What am I putting before God? That is one. Am I willing to follow Jesus if it costs me something? And do I believe even when those around me don't believe or make fun of me because I believe. So Carl's going to come up and play some music, and we're going to take a few minutes to just really stop and think. And one final thing that I want to point out is that as we make Jesus our priority and as we look at ourselves and say, wow, I don't want anything to take a higher priority in my life, one of the things that will come out of that is you're not going to want to keep Jesus to yourself. It's not something that, oh, I've got this now. What will happen is, when that gets in your life, you're going to want to share what's going on in your life with other people. So one of the things that we're going to be looking at during this year is like how to share that. That's going to be a focus this year that we're going to step into. And the first thing on this way to that is being able to really look and say, I want Jesus first in my life. So I want you to take a few minutes and think about your priorities. Think about some of those things that are in the way. And as we do that, I want you to take this time to make some commitments to God to change those things. And as we do that, we're going to do that in preparing our heart to take communion. So take a few minutes, examine those things that are in the way, and talk to God about what you need to rearrange in your priorities.